Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jen, and I um, have been a part of UCC since the beginning, which is longer than it was when we first said since the beginning. But uh, I haven't been here for the last six months and uh, four months, five months, but it always feels like coming home when I'm here with you. So thank you, uh, Roger, for this opportunity. I just have to say, right off the bat, that I have a fear of preaching. And so Raja asked me a couple weeks ago if I wanted to come, and right off I said, yes, I'd love to do this, and then the fears settle in. Well, then I asked if I could preach the same sermon I preached on this day last year, but he told me it was probably not a good idea. But then then the fear sets in, the fear of uh, what if what if people don't relate to what I'm saying? Or what if I screw up and miss something that was really important? And, and so I wrestle through this constant uh, fear of what it will be like. And we, we can all relate. We all have fears. And when I think about New Year's resolutions, uh, somebody's got a fear of a... Uh, Uh, When I think about New Year's resolutions, I think a lot of them are based out of fear. If you think, you know, somebody has a New Year's resolution to spend more time with their kids, they have a fear of how their children will turn out. Or they decide to quit smoking, they have a fear that they'll end up getting cancer. Or they decide they need to lose weight, they have a fear of what other people might think of them. Fears are very real. In in our house, we have a couple of fears that are somewhat silly. My youngest son, Cohen, is four. Um, many of you know him. And he recently developed a fear of spiders. And it's not just regular spiders. It's like he's afraid of spiders in his bed. And so he must have had some sort of dream about spiders, but he would not go to bed in his bed at night. He would not sleep or he would go to bed. And then at like two o'clock in the morning, we would wake up and he'd be on the floor beside our bed. And uh, so it got to the point where he's just like, I am not going in there. I am afraid of the spiders in my bed. Well, of course, as adults, we think that's ridiculous. I mean, some of us are afraid of spiders, but the idea of a spider in your bed is kind of ridiculous. So we came up with this creative idea. We, uh, we took a, a can of air freshener, and we told him that it was spider spray, and that although it smells really good to us, it doesn't smell good to the spider. So every night before he goes to bed, we have to spray him down with air freshener before he'll get into his bed. But it's worked, and, and sometimes he'll say, I didn't get any of my air freshener, and then his brother Isaac, who sleeps in the top bunk, will say, I can smell you, it's good, you're okay, you're covered. So there are a lot, a lot of fears in our life. Isaac has a fear of heights, and it's crazy because anyone who knows him knows he's like the most outgoing, insane kid ever, and he's not afraid of anything, but heights are a huge thing for him. And our family has a cottage up in Tobamori, and if you've been there before, they have a visitor center with a huge tower, and you can climb up to the top, and you can see all of Georgian Bay. It's beautiful. We do it every year. And every year, Isaac sits on the bench below the tower and waits for us to go up and come back down. And many times we've tried to drag him up and he'll get up a few steps and then he looks down because you can see through the cracks. That's the worst part. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm afraid. And so he misses out on this experience because of his fear. And I think that many of us miss out on experiences in life because we have this fear. In 2001, a guy named John Orkberg wrote a book, and it's called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. And he says this, the decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. 
You were made for something more than inevitable failure. God has great things in store for each of us. Sometimes we are like the disciples who are just afraid to get out of the boat. We just, we want to stay where we are, comfortable. And whatever we finished in 2015, and we don't want to move into something that's risky or something that causes fear. We want to be comfortable. And so today we're going to take a look at the scripture from, that we just watched here on the video. And it's found in Matthew 5:22. if you want to follow along. I'm going to be reading from the um, New Living Translation. Up there, sorry, Matthew 14, not Matthew 5. That's important. Uh, And it starts out, so just to give you a little bit of background here, uh, Jesus has been, he's been in his ministry for a short period of time. He's called the disciples to him and they are following him. Uh, But there's still this sense of uncertainty. It wasn't like the disciples immediately said, this must be God. They knew there was something special about him, but they weren't exactly sure what it was. They didn't. Um, they didn't know that he was God, or they didn't trust it 100% of the time. As you saw in the video, Thomas was doubting, you know, the Messiah is supposed to be this awesome guy who fights big things, and this isn't him. So Jesus has just fed the 5,000. So again, the, uh, the disciples had been with Jesus, and everybody was really hungry, and Jesus said, like, I'll take care of it. And they didn't trust. They're like, really? I'm not sure about this, but okay, whatever you say. So he just fed the 5,000, so they kind of came away from that thinking, well, he's somebody pretty special. And so Jesus says to them, I want you to get into this boat. So the verse um, 22 says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So that's the 5,000 that he's been feeding. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. While he was there, night fell. And he was alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, I've read this story many, many times before, and sometimes the, the details can get lost on me. But as I studied it, I began to realize what a big deal this was. So the disciples get in the boat, and the journey across the lake should have taken them about two hours. So anybody who's rowed a boat knows how much work that is. So imagine two hours already. That's, that's quite a journey. And they've been listening to Jesus speak all day. So it's already into the evening. And they get in the boat and the storm starts. And it says sometime around three in the morning. So at this point, they've been rowing for like eight hours. Imagine being on a treadmill for eight hours, trying to get to the other side 
and it's just not happening. They keep rowing and rowing and rowing, and the waves are coming, and the wind, and clearly they're thinking, like, we're going to die here. We're in this little boat. We're all exhausted. It's pitch dark. We can't see anything. We have no idea how far we've come, how far away it is. They're really feeling lost in that moment. And then, out of nowhere, they see this ghost-like figure coming towards them from out of the dark. So this isn't something where people walked on water regularly. It wasn't like they'd seen Jesus do hundreds of miracles already. This was a very scary situation. They're looking out over the water and they see this figure and they're absolutely terrified. They're thinking, my life is over. This is the grim reaper coming to take me away. And so Jesus speaks out in verse 27 and he says, do not be afraid Take courage, I am here. In our lives, we have many, many times where we are afraid and we need to have courage. But what's so beautiful about this verse is he doesn't just say, take courage. He doesn't just say, come on, suck it up, it's fine. He says, I am here. So if we translate that from the original Greek, it says, Ego, I, me, which is the same I am that God uses in the Old Testament when he's talking to Moses from the burning bush. So when, when Moses is walking in the desert and the, the bush is burning, again, it's a situation where you're not like, oh, there's God over there in the bush. He's terrified. And God says, don't worry, I'm here. And this is the same situation. Here's this guy, Jesus, who's come to earth. They're still really not 100% sure about him. But he is saying, have courage because I am. I'm God. I'm not just some guy walking on water. I am God. Jesus is saying, take courage because it is me, the great I am, God in the flesh. There's no reason to fear when we trust in him and willingly walk with him. Now, one question that may come to your mind when you think about this is, why did Jesus send them out into that situation in the first place? He knew it was going to be difficult. He knew it was going to cost them a lot of time and energy. He knew before they ever went out in the boat that they were going to spend the next eight hours trying to paddle across the ocean or the lake. So one verse that has really stood out to me over 2015 is Proverbs 19.21. And it says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So God allowed that situation to happen. Jesus allowed them to get in the boat knowing that it was going to be difficult because he wanted to grow their faith and he wanted them to become courageous. He knew what was ahead for the rest of their lives. He knew what they were going to have to deal with. So he sent them into that storm because in the grand reality of the situation, what they endured that night was so small compared to what they endured as life went on. He asked them to take that step because it led to their abundant life. Now we can also look at it and think, wow, like forget the walking on the water situation. What about, what about just the storm itself? Each one of us is probably in the midst of some sort of storm of our own. Maybe you're in the midst of a financial storm. Maybe you have lost your job or maybe you're overwhelmed by debt or maybe you're just afraid of your January credit card because Christmas was a really rough time for you. And so you're thinking, I've already got all this other stuff, this storm, this financial storm. 
And then God says, I want you to give. I want you to give to the church. I want you to give to somebody who's poor. And you're like, are you kidding me? I've already got to deal with all this. Now you want me to do that too? Maybe you're in a relational storm. Maybe you are in a relationship with somebody that you uh, are really struggling with. Maybe your, your marriage is failing. Maybe you have a child who's uh, in a rebellious phase. They're always in a rebellious phase, aren't they? They're in different phases of rebellion. You're feeling frustrated and overwhelmed, and it's taking up all your time. And then God says, I want you to go and spend time with this person in need. You're like, really? What about all of this over here? Or maybe it's just the stress of your day-to-day life. Maybe you're like me and you tend to overschedule yourself. Maybe your kids are crazy. Maybe your house is always a mess and you're just thinking, that is enough stress for one day. And then God says, I want you also to volunteer. I want you to spend time at church. I want you to make Sunday morning a priority. And you think, man... The storm, the storm stuff is enough. Now you're talking about having the courage to get out of the boat as well. But God's plans are not our plans. And it's not courage that we have in ourselves. You need to have courage to know that God is the I am and that his plans are so much bigger than us. He's good, he loves us, he sacrificed greatly for us, and he will be with us in whatever he asks us to do. The storm is one thing, but getting out of the boat is a whole other thing. And God is only as big in our life as we ask him to be. Just like we sang this morning, we ask him to come, he asks us to come. So in verse 28 and 29, continuing on with the story, Uh, So the first thing, I didn't say that, the first thing that God asks us to do is to take courage. And the second thing that he asks us to do is to be obedient. 28-29, it says, Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. So the disciples had courage, and then Peter became obedient. He didn't walk on the water because he wanted to experience a miracle. He walked on water because he wanted to go to where Jesus was. Have you ever been in a situation where things are just really crazy? So for me, a day-to-day, my day-to-day life sometimes is crazy. Being a parent and having kids and they're running around, they're insane. And at 5.30, when my husband walks through the door, I want to run and give him the biggest hug and say, thank you. You have no idea how happy I am to see you right now. (laughs) Because that's the reality of our life sometimes, right? So after eight hours of struggling with this and then the fear of thinking it's a ghost and then realizing that it's Jesus, the relief that washes over Peter and he says, can I come to you? Like a small child comes to a parent, can I come to you? And Jesus says, yes, yes, come to me. In that book I talked about earlier, John Orkberg says, getting out of the boat was Peter's gift to God. Walking on water was God's great gift to Peter. The invitation is not just for Peter. It's for each one of us. And every time we get out of the boat, God gets a little bit bigger for each of us. So why is it so hard? Why isn't it just, okay, yep, have courage, obey, done. Well, it's because we like to have control of our own lives. 
I'm an admitted control freak. I struggle with it all the time, and I work on it daily. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we are to live by faith and not by sight. Does anybody else start 2016 by making a list of different things that you want to accomplish or places you want to go or people you want to see? You plan it all out, right? Or you... you have, you say, okay, well, I've got to do this, so in order to do that, I need to do this, 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 and this. That's how I live my life. I like to be in control of the situations, and not only do I like to control my situation, but I like to control other people's situations, too. Some of you are laughing because you're like this, too. Where you want, you want to say, I'm not letting my child go to school looking like that, or I don't want my husband to do that, or I don't want my pet to do that. You want to control the situation of other people's lives as well. We like to control our own, and so the idea of giving that over to God and saying, I am in obedience to you, you take it, you do with it, is scary. It's, that takes courage, that takes obedience. And when he asks us to do something big, it's really hard to give over the control. So many of you know the story of my life over the last year. Um, I was working here at UCC, I love this church. I, this, this was home to me, I wanted to be here forever. And uh, I had made a commitment with my husband that we were going to be working or we were going to be attending the same church by the time our son started school, which was in fall of 2015. And uh, we spent five years going back and forth on that, going back and forth, and, and felt really strongly that God had said, this is something that you need to do. And, and so when the time was coming down, I, I just outright said, I'm not doing it. I love UCC. I don't know what God's plan is for me, but I am staying here. And uh, really, really started to struggle with it. God came and he clearly said, I asked you to give this up. You need to leave. And so I sat with Raja in, in tears, upset about it. I didn't want to go. But the hardest thing for me was not just leaving. It was having no idea where I was going to go. And God had kind of impressed on my heart this desire to do something else. And, and I, I kind of knew where I, want, I wanted to end up, but I had no idea. Is that, is that his plan? And so throughout the early months of the summer, I knew I was leaving, and Raja knew I was leaving, and everybody knew I was leaving, but I had no idea what I was going to do. And I'm not the type of person who does nothing very well. And so I started applying for jobs, and I started making plans, and I started doing all these things in my own power. And God kept saying, I've got this. I've got this. I'm in control. Just obey me. And every once in a while, I would, I would freak out. I'd be like, what am I going to do? And then I would try and plan something else. And, and people would say to me, are you, are you kidding? You're quitting your job that you love and you have no idea what you're going to do? And I'm like, yes, I am. And, uh, and even my own mom said to me, do you think maybe you could just stay until something else comes along? And I'm like, man, when your mom starts doubting you, you've really got trouble. <laughs> But I felt really strongly that this was what God wanted me to do. And so my last day at he, here at UCC was one of the hardest uh, acts of turning over control that I have ever experienced because I had no idea what I would be doing on Monday. And, and God made it so clear, I'm not going to tell you. You have to trust me. And four days, four days is how long I had no job. <laughs> 
four days. And I, I look back on that and I knew without a doubt that that was God's plan, that I had to step out of the boat before he was going to show me what was going to happen. And as I was thinking about this story and just what, what it would be like if I was Peter, and I know I'd be like, can I come to you, Jesus? Okay, can you tell me what's going to happen when I get out of the boat? Like, will I sink a little bit or just should I bring my life jacket with me? Like, what, what's happening here? Like, I want to know the plans as they unfold. And that's not how God works because his plans are not our plans. To human sight, it appeared like I was risking the support of my family and my friends and everybody else, but God knew. And the reality is that obeying our wisdom and not God's is actually much more risky. See, the disciples were in the boat and it appeared that the boat was afloat, but in fact, the boat was not going anywhere. And relying on their boat really relying on what they knew was not really safe at all. As long as they stayed in that situation of relying on themselves, they were never going to get anywhere. And Peter often gets criticized for his lack of faith because when he steps out of the boat, he falls in. But he was the only one who was actually willing to get out of the boat in the first place. It's always, 100% of the time, better and safer to depend on God and to follow him. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, the Bible says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seriously seek, sincerely seek him. We can expect great things when we are willing to trust in God. Peter trusted who Jesus was and he had the courage to obey. And he goes on to walk on water. And then he starts to sink. In verse 30 and 31, it says, But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? The third thing we need is perseverance. So courage, obedience, and perseverance. Now, there's a couple things that we need to note about these verses. First of all, Peter was not walking on water out of his own strength. It's impossible for him to walk on this water, but he was dependent on his faith in the fact that Jesus was going to help him. And the second thing is that it didn't take much faith to do it, but it required that the faith that he exercised it required that he exercise the faith that he had. So you've probably heard faith like a mustard seed. Rajal often calls you see our mustard seed endeavor. That means that something as small as a mustard seed, which we don't use nearly as much, maybe like a poppy seed would be a better example nowadays. But faith that small can move mountains. So Peter didn't have a lot of faith, but the faith that he had was enough for God to do amazing things through him. But... After he started walking, he looked out around him and the situation that he was in. Just like I shared in my story, I really started to doubt. I was looking at my life. I'm thinking, where's this job coming from? And where's, where's, uh, where's God when I need him? And maybe I should just go find something myself. When we look away, we fall. But when we call to him, he will stretch out his arms and save us. Christ let Peter come not only to show God's power, but to show our human weakness. So this story is about Jesus and how he saves us in the midst of the situation. 
Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he started to sink. Lots of us have taken the opportunity in the past to step out of the boat. We probably all have a situation where we can say, oh yeah, I've stepped out of the boat before. But it's the perseverance that continues to help us to grow. So I tend to be a really impulsive person. I like to make decisions quickly. And I tend to be a, yes, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And then afterwards, I step back and say, what was I thinking? So in 2008, my husband and I moved back. We were living in the U.S. And and, uh, he was given an opportunity to work at a church here and we felt like it was really what God wanted us to do and so I was like let's do it sounds like a great adventure and so we pack up all of our stuff and we leave everything behind and we move back to Canada and within a week I was like what was I thinking I hate this I miss my friends I miss my um, my house everything about it and so that's that's that piece of perseverance is it keeping our eyes focused on what God has as we, we take our steps out of, the, out of the boat. And as I moved back into this situation and I started to really hate what I, where I was and what I was doing, my faith um, grew further and further away from God. And, and this is the piece that's so important. When you think about walking on water and keeping our eyes on, on Jesus, Peter had enough faith to get him out of the boat, but he didn't have enough faith to keep him walking in that direction because he took his eyes off of Jesus. And so maybe God has asked you to do something and you've been willing to do it and you've obediently taken that step, but then your faith has stopped and you haven't been able to keep going. So because it's January... I'll use an exercise analogy. Let's say you want to run a marathon, and you've run a marathon before 10 years ago, but you haven't done any running in the last 10 years. To put on your running shoes and go outside and think that you could run 42 kilometers is absolutely ridiculous, because although you trained for it 10 years ago, it's not going to sustain you to continue to train for it or to help you in this situation. You have to be continually working on it every single day, constantly. And that's like our relationship with God. That's like this experience with Peter and putting his faith in God. We have to daily choose to exercise our faith. And that's where perseverance comes in. In James 1, 224, the Bible says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So if we're going to be mature and complete and not lacking in anything as believers, living a full and abundant life, then we need to persevere. This is where Peter failed. But the great part is that even when Peter failed, God saved him. He knew he was failing and he reached out and he said, God, save me. Jesus, save me. And Jesus did just that. He rescues us and he gives us more opportunities to grow. So if you know the story of Peter's life, uh, after Jesus, um, after this time, and Jesus went into the night that Jesus was uh, was betrayed and the Last Supper, and Jesus said to him, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, I would never do that. And then he does. He fails again. And then Jesus dies on the cross, and he comes back, and 
he goes up into heaven and Peter is instrumental in the early church. He is the person who brings Jesus to the Gentiles, to us. He brings Jesus to us. And in Acts 5, there's a really cool story about Peter and the apostles. Acts 5, 40 to 42, it says, The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. So they were beating, they beat the apostles. Then they ordered them never again to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. Talk about needing some courage and obedience and perseverance. Verse 42, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach his message. Jesus is the Messiah. Peter's life, like ours, is a cycle of courage, obedience, and perseverance. It's not the failure that defines us. It's what we do with that failure. Peter was given the calling to share the gospel with the Gentiles, and he did it with great perseverance. To the point of death, Peter was crucified on a cross. And when they went to crucify him, he said, don't crucify me like Jesus because I'm not worthy of it. Crucify me upside down. He didn't live a life that ended all rosy and great. He lived a life that honored and glorified God. That leads us to our last point, 32 and 33. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. They said, you really are the son of God, they exclaimed. That was a major pronouncement for them to acknowledge the fact Yes, this guy really is the Messiah we've waited all these years for. And after this moment, we don't hear of the disciples worshiping again until after Jesus uh, is risen from the dead. So this is, this is a real eye-opening experience for them. God, When God reaches out to us, the only natural response for us is to reach back to him. So the story isn't actually about Peter and his attempt to walk on water. It's about Jesus and his ability to save us. We can't do anything in our own power. And when we come to a point in our life where we realize who God really is and who we are, our only response, other than repentance, is to worship him. You know, I've never been one of those people who chooses a word for the year. I know it's been a big thing for the last few years. Choose your word. What's your word for the year going to be? And I guess I just speak too much, so I couldn't narrow it down to one word. But uh, as, I, as I worked on this this week, God just really laid it on my heart how much I need to be grateful for what I have. The gratitude of, first and foremost, what salvation in Jesus Christ is. But then the opportunity that I am given to live this life in this world, in this phase of time with the people that have been placed in my life. And I just kept thinking, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Jesus offers us something so amazing and our only response should be, thank you, I'm blessed. We can never come to Jesus except when we are upheld by his power. When we say thank you to him in gratitude, we're acknowledging that we owe him something. And we know that we do because we owe him our very lives.
So as you think about what it means to get out of the boat, what steps you need to take in 2016 to have courage, to obey, to persevere, and to worship God, what does it look like in your own life? If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior from sin, that's step number one. That's the beginning of the most glorious life you could ever live. So if you haven't done that, I encourage you to not let it go one more minute. But if you have, then there is something else. There's always something else. Chances are you're sitting here right now thinking, oh, I know what it is, but I really don't want to do that. (laughs) God's going to give you the courage to do that if you're obedient to him and you persevere. And if you're unsure, then I encourage you to pray specifically. Pray that prayer like Peter, Jesus, can I come? Can I come to you? Because he answers always yes. Ask him what it is that he wants you to do. As we close today, I asked uh, the worship team if they would would play this specific song, and we all know it really well. Um, and the reason why I chose this song, not only because it relates to our story, but uh, my husband was recording an album this year with, with his church, and he was doing all the recording stuff. And so I heard the song thousands of times, thousands of times over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, it, it just has such powerful words. And in, in March of this year, our family was driving down to Florida, and he's listening to the recordings in the car. And, and I said to him, our kids are screaming in the back seat, all that usual stuff. And, and I said, just listen, just listen to the words and think about how powerful it is to ask God, what does it mean? What does it mean to step out on the water and to come to you, Jesus? And so as the worship team comes, I just, I encourage you to not let a day go by, a minute go by in 2016 where you don't actively ask God what it means to come to him.